as we continue in our sermon series on the the life of Joseph, today we're going to build a little bit on last week's sermon where we saw Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery 20 years earlier continue to struggle with that particular sin. This week, his brothers return to Egypt and to Joseph, whom they don't recognize, of course, as their long-lost brother, but who is now in charge of the grain they need in the middle of a famine. Well, Joseph made an ultimatum on their return to Egypt. To escape death, to get more grain, to see my face again, to free their brother Simeon, who's being held hostage, they would need to bring their youngest half-brother, but Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, back with them. Bringing Benjamin was easier asked for than done, right? Because their father, Jacob, held on to Benjamin much like he did, uh, his, much like he valued Joseph above his other brothers, like some sort of golden child. Not to mention the last time they went to buy grain, the money they thought they paid out for the grain was somehow put back in their bags, making it look like they stole the grain, or worse, sold Simeon, their brother, into slavery. Pressed by hunger, they had little choice but to go back to face what they thought was a mean Egyptian who wanted to do them harm. They had no choice but to bring along Benjamin this time or be executed. They had no choice but to once again be tested by the justice, wits, heart, and plan of Joseph. Like Joseph's brothers, we're all scrambling. We're all hustling and managing to make life work, to make things happen, to to keep ourselves and those we love and what we value on the up and up. But, But like his brothers, we are often victims of our sin and this broken world. Apart from God's grace, which is God's unmerited favor at Christ's expense, we are stuck, right? We are are cut off morally and and relationship-wise from our God and all we are and all we try to do. And as human beings, we we need, we need what God has has and is giving in this famishing world. We we need hope. We we need freedom. We need stuff, right? We need security. We need love, the, the kind we can only get through his son, Jesus Christ. But like Joseph's brothers, we have and will fail to know the grace of God that we need when we try to make things right, and we, when we don't and can't recognize his son, and when we are trapped by our guilt, we fail to know and receive the grace of God once again. When we fail to know God's grace, when we are trapped by our guilt, when we try to make things right, and when we don't and can't recognize the son. Picking up right where we left off last week, I cannot emphasize enough, What I believe this story reveals here about Joseph's family. They are trapped. They are trapped in in their guilt, guilt for, for selling Joseph into slavery. They sold him because they were jealous of him and didn't like his dreams for telling him being in charge. And then they lied to their father, letting him believe his favorite son Joseph was dead. 
They are trapped in their guilt because they are not only unforgiven, but they are living and feeling that unforgiveness. I'm not going to do too much on this subpoint, but it is clear that these brothers are guilty of a deep, dark family sin, selling their brother to slavery and lying to their father. And they are unforgiven for it because like we saw last week, it has not been brought to the Lord. It has not been brought out in the open to dealt with. Joseph is gone. He can't free them. In fact, when things go wrong, they blame all the going wrongs in their lives on a 20-year-old sin that they are guilty and live in unforgiveness for. It is still a smudge on their hearts and records, but not only that, they can't help but feel and live as unforgiven. Look at what happens in the following verses in verse 16 through 23 in chapter 43. It says here, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, this is when they are in Egypt, He said to the steward of the house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so they may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened up our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our, our money in full weight. So we brought it again with us and we brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Then the servant replied, Peace to you right? Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then they brought Simeon out to them. Okay. We saw some of this last week. But get this, a meal is going to be prepared for them, right? They are going to eat at Joseph's house and all they can think of is what? We're going to die, y'all. They're going to imprison us. We didn't steal the money. We are not really guilty, but we feel guilty. Now, remember the stuff in their bag represented their hidden guilt. Well, these brothers are dealing with more than actually being guilty because they didn't take the money. They are dealing with something worse, I would say, for many of us. Guilt feelings. Feeling unforgiven. They are struggling so much with their real guilt and their sins and their lack of assurance of whether they stand guilty before the Lord of Egypt, Joseph, that they didn't think maybe he was trying to be good to us by putting the money back in our bags. Right? As a matter of fact, maybe it wasn't an oversight. Maybe it was a blessing. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that not only did Joseph put the grain and the money back in, but gave them provision for their journey. And then the servant tells them the full truth, right? You can live at peace. You can chill. Because this is a gift from God. This was God's grace to you. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't live all afraid and uptight, but enjoy this thing. God has given to this to you. See how good and gracious God is? I mean, couldn't they interpret the stuff in their bags in a meal as God's goodness and grace? No, they could not. It was impossible 
for them to see and accept and enjoy God's goodness because of their real and felt guilt before Joseph for their sins and their lack of being forgiven for them. You know why so many of us, even some of you believers, live so spiritually melancholy? and can't see and respond properly to what is the grace and goodness of the Lord for you? Because some sin, right, that that, that we are guilty of, or, or something that we did that we shouldn't be guilty of, because we are owning a sin that is not ours, or or because we haven't owned a sin that are ours and, 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 and haven't sought God's forgiveness. And some of us don't even know that God forgives sins or would forgive that sin. So we are blind to God's grace and goodness in our lives. God's goodness and grace is all up in our face, right, and all over us, and and we only see it through the lens and eyes of fear. So many of us are are sitting here waiting for the other divine shoe to drop, right, for God to say, psych, thought I forgot I really forgave you. It was too bad, tricker, right? We are in this cycle of complaint and fear and worry and don't feel freed or that we can be freed by whatever bad thing has been done to us that wasn't even our fault. And we blame ourselves or fail to accept that we are sinners or need to lay that thing before God that all we see is pain and sorrow and loneliness. And we are trapped, some of us, just, some of us some grumpy people. We are mean, right? We are are surly, we're irritated. We walk around with a chip on our shoulder kind of people, right? I mean, you can't even enjoy people and life God has blessed you with because there are relationships of unforgiveness and all sort of guilt feelings around those relationships, and you are trapped defensive and being offensive and being angry and mean at your world. You even begin to put yourself out there on the lines and ways that you shouldn't like Judah does for Jacob in verse 9 when he takes Benjamin. It says this, when Jacob doesn't want Benjamin to go, Judah says, you know what? I'll be a pledge of safety pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Guilty people, guilty feeling people, take on not only their sins, but have a tendency to believe and be like this guilt carrier. So he takes on the sin of his father because of, you guessed it, Joseph. He makes a pledge that if Benjamin does not return, which he can't promise, that will what? Keep him guilty and feeling guilty forever to cover the sin of his father. That's nice, but only a guilty person will say such a foolish thing. Some of you, like Judah, put yourself on the line in ways you shouldn't. So guilty feeling, so unforgiven, so don't know what to do with this huge sin either somebody did to you or sin you've done, right? You would just rather die 
Some of us, you know, we sit around and we think, man, it's easier just to die than live with this, right? Or even thought about killing yourself and, and leaving this life to, to inadvertently seek to end the guilt of some unforgiving world or feeling or action. Well, some of us walk around thinking and saying stuff like, God doesn't love me. He's not good to me. Guilt stops unbelievers and believers and church people and God's people from enjoying all the stuff that God has laid out for you to enjoy because you are disabled and dysfunction in your relationship with God because of one or two unforgiven and unforgiven felt for things. It's in large part why we do our confession insurance early in our worship service. We know what the Bible tells us is true, that your unforgiveness, your sins that you are carrying, your feeling guilty before the Lord will stop you or hold you or hamper you and me from receiving and enjoying and believing the goodness, grace, and truth of our God offered in the songs and in the words of this worship service. But not only that, we fail to know God's grace, ironically, when we try to make things right. Either by trying to right our wrongs or appease our God. Look with me at verse 11 through 13. So this is Jacob, also called Israel. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, if you must take Benjamin down to get grain, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, a little gum, a little myrrh, a little pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double, right, the money with you. Carry back with the mo- you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Okay, he's thinking kind of clearly. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. Then look what happens, and we already read what happens in verse 20 is they, they take care of their animals. They, they wash their feet. They prepare them. They say, here's an invitation to have lunch with Joseph. And the Bible says this happens, verse 24. And when the man had brought the man to Joseph's house and given them water, and they wa- had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, not killed them, not taken their donkeys, they prepared the present. Here we go. For Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. It is clear that these brothers are preparing and are trying to do what it takes to fix their relationship with Joseph. As much as humanly possible, that is, to right this wrong. So let's paint this picture here. They are scrambling and even giving more than they should, right? I mean, there is a famine going on, and they pay, they pay out double, basically, and then they give more than they have to to fix things with Joseph. Even after they get their feet washed and get invited to dinner, they are focused on what? Writing their perceived wrong before Joseph, even after they've heard they didn't do wrong, and then they are going to bring this present before him of food, now get this, to a dinner. They even go to dinner, and and the Bible says they try to be and make things right with Joseph, not just trying to fix their wrongs, but to appease and please him. 
Look with me at verse 26 through 28. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with him and bowed down to him to the ground bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about the welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of who you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. They're doing all the right things that you should do before a mean, mad Egyptian governor and prince like Joseph. They answer all the questions. And they obey all they are supposed to in his presence. These brothers are on their best performance and behavior before Joseph. And what do all the attempts of righting their own wrongs and trying to appease Joseph get them? It falls kind of flat, doesn't it? It doesn't add up. It just feels like they're trying, they tried real hard, but it didn't matter in fixing the relationship. I mean, they bring all this extra food and money to pay back, and then the servant is like, chill, that was God's blessing, and then they think they're going to be judged, and then what happens? They get their feet washed and their donkeys fed, and then get word that they are invited to a high-end dinner, and they come with what in hand and mind? A make-things-right offering of honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. They bring the ancient version of a trail mix to dinner to offer at and for a royal feast. This is like going to, you know, a high-end restaurant, some five-star restaurant, right? Rolling into the Capitol Grill. Hey, I wanted to give this to the chef to thank him. Here's a bag of trail mix from Walmart. Their stuff doesn't add up to what they are receiving. They got caught in some kind of over some kind of wage they didn't expect. And then they bow down and lay prostrate before Joseph and gives him all the stuff. And Joseph says, What? He doesn't say, Wow, I've been wanting some pistachio nuts. He doesn't say, wow, you know, I'm the prince of Egypt. I'm, I'm the prince of the most powerful world. I have everything at my disposal. But boy, I wanted some almonds. They lay down on the ground. They give him their best, if you will. And he says what? How's your dad? Is he still alive? In fact, in verse 33, it says that they were amazed at this behavior. That Joseph would give them all of these things. But on a hard side of it, after all their writing wrongs and acting all perfect, they get to leave. This is all they wanted. They just wanted to get back home to daddy with their brothers and everybody and their grain and everything to be straight. But Joseph has this happen to him. He says, you know what? Servant, you put the stuff in a bag, but put my silver chalice in the bag of one of them, the youngest one, right? And when they go away, I want you to stop them. And I want you to say, hey, how dare you, after how well I treated you, try to get away with my silver cup and my pride. You know, in our house, we we discovered something. Nobody wants to share their water cup. I don't know what it is, right? Kelly has like the Starbucks cup. Like even when it was just the the one they give you free with the water, with the little green straw, 
if she sees me walking around with that cup, what are you doing? I said, I wanted some water. What are you drinking out of? A cup. No, not a cup, my cup. So everybody got their own cup now. Went and bought Clark a cup with the Panthers thing on it. Everybody has a cup. The cup is important. You don't want nobody else's mouth on your water cup. Some of y'all like living like that. We don't live like that. And we relate it. It irritates you when you see somebody else's lip on your cup. Ugh. It's my cup. I know I let it sit on my bedside for four days and collect bacteria, but that's the bacteria I put there to collect. <laughs> but I hope you get it. Nothing they did to fix their relationship with Joseph, not they're trying to right their wrongs or appease him, worked to free them or make things right. They failed to make things right, and it was almost like Joseph outgave them and outserved them and outrighteous them. They couldn't pay for their own sins, and then he would not let them get away thinking that what they did and gave in their performance of goodness was enough. And I think Judah's question at the end is so apropos, right? What can we do to fix our guilt? We gave you the money. We gave you the trail mix. We brought our brother. We ate your Egyptian food. Man, come on. We even brought scented candles and all of that. We bowed down before you. We answered all of your questions. We had dinner together. What could and what can we do to fix our guilt before you? How can we correct the wrongs represented again by the silver cup and vigilance bag of unforgiven and unrecognized sin? What can we do? And the answer is nothing. Joseph's action spoke volumes of them and showed to us that you can't beat or earn the Lord's righteousness and favor on your own. You and I can't appease him because he's already got everything good and true in and of himself. He is too holy, and we are too not in our best trail mix scented candle attempts. That you and I fail to be right or think we are okay with God based on our good works, based on doing enough to, to balance out the God, God karma thing, or being moral enough, or just by going to church enough, or being better to God than he could ever imagine we could be. Like God's going to be surprised. Trying to come up in his divine king of kings, lord of lords type of righteous, again with our trail mix, and it is a drop in the bucket. It is not going to fix things between you and God. This is the church. This is the gospel. This is not a get your life right convention and organization. And get this. Like Joseph, God will not let you and me get away with anything like that silver cup and business bag that would represent a point to us getting away from or with or over on his righteous or somehow take his place as the righteous Lord and King in some way for ourselves. No believer who truly understands the gospel will come off like they got it together because their God will not let it happen. He alone has the glory. He alone gets to drink out that silver cup of righteousness, of holiness, of the thing that represents his goodness. He will not allow you and me to come out of it saying, you know what, I fixed my life. God gave me the rule book and I passed it. 
I took the test of what it meant to be a good Christian, and I passed. I hope you can pass too. If you are living like that, then that is not, you've missed it. No one gets away being righteous on their own. In fact, Romans says, no, not one. You got to wonder, like Judah at this point, what is it you want from us, God? We can't get rid of our guilt no matter how hard we try. We can't fix things. What do you want? And so Judah and his brothers are caught in this impossible test because they can't see that Joseph is their brother and Jacob's favored son. They are cut off and fail to see the grace of God and enter in and and enjoy and all all because they are going through and dealing with or understanding what they're going through or dealing with because they don't and can't see the Son as the source and sense of God's grace for them. I want us to recall the dream Joseph had that started this whole mess 20 years ago. The Bible tells us back in chapter 37 that Joseph had two very similar dreams. The first was of sheaves, bundle of grain, 11 of them, bowing down to Joseph's sheaf. And then the second one was the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing to him. And fast forward to what we see happening here some 20 years later. Not only does it confirm that the dream was true, that his brothers would bow down before him, But more than that, do y'all see it? It explains the true substance of the dream, right? Joseph actually gave their money back, food for their journey and grain, and then the dinner, and then the foot washing. They were treated more like honored guests and not his enemies. Joseph's brothers had the dream all wrong. All along, right? This was not and never about Joseph taking mean advantage over them to make them get below him. This was about God blessing and loving them through Joseph with more than they could for themselves. Get this. It meant that Joseph was the source and medium of God's grace for them and the connection between God's grace and goodness in the dream and thus the savior and blesser of his people. But not only the source of God's grace, but the sense of God's grace, the sense of God's love. I, I, I really like this scene. Happens a couple of times. We'll see more next week. They want to fix things. They just want to get away with their lives. If we didn't see the whole story and we saw it from this standpoint, we'd be pulling for the brothers. This mean Egyptian, if, if we didn't know the story, if we didn't know this was Joseph, we'd be like, hey, man, I hope they get with Benjamin. I hope they get the money thing straight, and I hope they get back home to daddy because daddy's going to die. They just want to go on with their lives. They just want to make daddy happy and have food for family, and they are somehow, according to, according to their fears and words, believing that Joseph just wants to jam them up, to hate on them, to play a divine game on them, to just hold them back, to just make them afraid of him. He just hates Hebrews or something. And every time they try to appease him or outgive him, to make him happy, to leave them alone and just let them get away and on with their guilty, seedy lives of pain, Joseph counters with the relational, sticky, right, response or sovereign action that makes it impossible for them to get away from him. Look at this in verse 26. In chapter 43, let me get there. 
When Joseph came home, they brought into the house for him the present that they had with him, and they bowed down to him to the ground. And I want to reemphasize the same point. I'm making it again. It's not a mistake. <laughs> but I want you to see. They bring all this stuff. They bring the present because they want to get away with it, y'all. They want to get away from this person. They don't want to give them the present so they can have a long-term relationship. They don't like him. He's Egyptian and he's mean. And they imprison the brothers, man. They don't want him. So they lay down before him and he asks, what? How's your dad? Is the old man still alive? And then verse 29 says he lifts his eyes when they live pro- lay prostrate. That means their eyes are to the ground, right? They, can't, they aren't even looking at him. So they lay down, and the Bible says he lifts up his eyes to look at Benjamin, right? And, and, and the, when the, then the Bible says that portions were taken. Uh, I'm sorry. He looks at Benjamin, and when he connects with Benjamin, and thus his mom and his family and the love of Jacob and the whole thing, the family pain, the sin, the hope in Benjamin, the Bible says this in verse 30 in chapter 43. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. And then the Bible says portions were taken off his table and given five times as much to Benjamin. Benjamin. And then the Bible says they were married with him. In other words, they got a little loose, right? The legs were hung over the side of the couch, drinking, having a good time. What's going on? What do we see from what appears to be an Egyptian who's treating these lowly, guilty, weak Hebrews well? In Joseph, we see the sense of God's grace, which is this. He wants a relationship. Let let me say that word again. He doesn't want an arrangement where you pay your stuff and you get away. He don't want an arrangement where you don't recognize how holy he is and you don't bow your life down to him. He don't want an arrangement with, with human beings who are lost in their sin and can't free themselves of their guilt. He doesn't want an arrangement. The Bible is teaching us that he wants a relationship, a loving Right? Reconciling relationship with folk who struggle with guilt and sin and who have messed up families and histories and overprotective fathers and mistreated just about single mothers and those who are unloved and unwanted and those who just can't put it together and those who don't understand Christianity and those who don't understand religion and those who can't seem to get it all together in their heart or make sense of it. Those are the kind of people God wants relationship with and he won't let you get away. He's going to make it sticky because he he doesn't want you to arrange a way for you to live apart from him. God has compassion for the weakest, the smallest among us, that God has a heart and divine desire to share the life and bounty and blessing he has from his holiness with you. And you and I can't and don't see it and miss it and will miss it and won't be able to even stand it. We won't get the God and us story straight if we don't see who is the one, our own Joseph, who is the sense and source of God's grace. We don't know who is the chosen one and Savior 
if we don't recognize and know who is it we bow and do good things for, if we don't know his story, if we don't know God's divinely ordered and designed dream to save us through him, if we don't know how he was sent as God's chosen vessel to suffer and rise and be the Lord for our sinners and for our brokenness, we will fail just like his brothers who were in the dark, right, to take hold and be held by God's divine, compassionate love and concern for us and hold in us. Like Joseph went and cried. If we don't know Jesus' story, if we don't know the gospel, we will not see, right? It'll be hidden to us. The compassion God has for you will not be able to be seen or received from you unless you see what happened through his son. Like Joseph's brother, only Joseph's being alive. And his forgiving words could truly free them from the guilt and make things right and have them live in merry joy of being and enjoying God. For your freedom, recognize today and tomorrow and every day for whatever joy and pain you may be experienced, that the source and sense of God's grace is in his son, Jesus, who is our Joseph. He alone came to win and offer God's forgiveness for our guilt and guilt feelings to make things right before God and ourselves and between each other and be and provide our righteous offering before, before God to give us righteous standing as a gift to give to us and bring us into the joy and praise and bounty of being his fully and truly. And it takes a living there for us, fulfilling the plan of God's Savior Jesus to have compassion on us. The worst thing we could ever miss or fail to see and accept today is God's Son, Jesus. It's interesting, especially in our country, especially in the South, the religious South. It's tricky. It's easy to be moral. It's easy to talk about living good. It's easy to be churchy. It's easy to try to make an arrangement where you feel good enough to keep living. But it is impossible to be right before God and live free of that guilt that is crushing you if the sun is veiled from you. But the good news is this. You're not like Joseph's brothers because you know the story. God sent his son, Jesus, to join himself to us in our story and make his story now our story to redeem us. It is no longer hidden from you. Christ has been sent to pass the impossible test of God's grace for you and me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is often so easy to live...